electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Rally on after a couple days rest. Tech is off and running again, literally carrying stocks through this first quarter. So is that run really sustainable or soon to reverse? We debate that key question with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today right here at Post 9, Joe Terranova, Jason Snipe, Jenny Harrington, and Steve Weiss. I'll show you the markets, what we are doing. We're green across the board, as you probably know by now. NASDAQ is the outperformer today yet again, one and three quarters percent. Joe, I turn to you. So it was a brief pause. Rest for a couple days. This amazing run continues for tech. Best month to date, best year to date in terms of sectors. Where does it go from here? I think what was good is while we had that little pause for technology, the other sectors actually came forward and, and picked up the performance. So it was energy, it was financials, it was healthcare. It was the areas of the market that have underperformed so far year to date. We had this conversation on Monday. I told you about my conversation with Larry Altman. We both felt as though that the market was going to be able to catch its breath. I think that's exactly what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why last Friday I bought JP Morgan, I bought IBB. I think there's further upside potential in the near term for the market heading into Friday's PCE inflation figure. And, and really, the $5.1 trillion that we learned last week is sitting in money market funds. I think right now, the, the overweight positioning and the most risky positioning is sitting in so much cash. Because you can't tell me that everyone's going to perfectly time and take the reinvestment risk so effectively out of the money market funds back into risk assets. So we've got a couple days left, Jason, the quarter. Um, and it's been really tech top heavy. Yeah. Right. Pisani had some great data earlier today. S&P's up 3.4 percent this year. The seven mega cap tech stocks are responsible for a 5 percent gain in the S&P, meaning the rest of the 493 are underperforming. So if you take the let's call it the four mega mega caps. OK. Yep. Apple up 23 percent in the quarter. Microsoft 16 and a half. Alphabet 15. Amazon 19. And then the so-called second tier. NVIDIA 84, Meta 70, Tesla 56. That is just in the quarter. Is that top heavy okay? Because we've been here before yeah. where those yeah. types of stocks have carried the whole load for the market. Right. Is it good or bad right now, though? I think it's tough. I think, um, you know, a couple things. I think, one, a lot of folks were offsides um, at, the, at the beginning of this year. That's I for think, sure. You know, from a cyclical perspective, folks were looking at value-oriented sectors, financials, healthcare, energy as, as the places to be. And obviously, tech has been the outperformer. My concern is, you know, if I look at the NASDAQ 100 as an example, 
Um, the NASDAQ 100 was trading at 20 times at the end of December. It's now at 24 times. We have a Fed that's still engaged. We're closer to the end than we are the beginning. Um, I'm also concerned about loan demand. And, and Joe just mentioned it. I mean, the optionality from, mm -hmm. a, from a cash perspective, cash management perspective, you could look at money market funds that are paying 4 to 5%. You could look at a six-month treasury that's paying close to 4.6%. So with, with the Fed that's engaged and, and, and you know, longer duration assets potentially being under pressure in the second half of this year. So, and inflation still yeah. relatively, um, relatively high. So, so I think that's my concern. Jenny, we, we asked a question yesterday right at the top of the show. Do you continue to buy into the tech run or do you fade it? It leads me right to you. What you guys have done in your growth portfolio today, okay? You trim Meta. I mentioned what Meta's done in the quarter, up 70%. It's been unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Palo Alto is up 30-something percent, 35 36% in the quarter as well. You guys trim it. Right. So is that, a, is that a statement about, you know, taking some risk off the table in an area that's gotten a little too ahead of itself? 100%. And I think that's like, that's good portfolio management. So we look at these companies and we say, look, they still have great earnings growth ahead. They have strong free cash flow yields. They're not in Meta's case. Now it's trading at a multiple, um, at a premium multiple to the market where they historically, well, historically for last year has traded at a, at a discount. So we could say they've really gotten, they've really gotten their love, right? A year ago, six months ago, they were underappreciated. Now they're well appreciated. So we took them both from about three and a half percent positions in the growth portfolio to two and a half percent, free up that cash and repurpose it elsewhere, which I think is really, you know, if there is one big theme that we talk about today, I think that's going to be where we should go. You know, Weiss, according to Jeffries, you know, the, the so-called smart money has been buying tech for the last few months. Hedge funds leaned more towards secular growth in January, according to the data from Jeffries. Much of the increase in their overall overweight was focused on tech and comm services. Um, smart money, smart bets. What do we think? Yeah, I, I think if you take a look at their business models historically, uh, their balance sheets are in great shape, so they're not going to have that stress from financing, from rates going up, so that's a positive. Um, they also have the most durable business models with less cyclicality, aside from some advertising issues. So, and they've come down quite a bit. So I, so I think that's a smart place to be. I want to address something Joe said. The, the narrative for all of 22 was there's so much cash in the sidelines. We actually haven't seen such a huge inflow of cash relative to what was been there. And 22, of course, is not a great year for the market. So I don't think you should count that money coming back into the market anytime soon, having just exited the market. Now, I haven't said that. Well, it's going to come in at some point. I mean, totally it disagree. Is. It's going to come in at so some point. Totally disagree. Statistically, you're at $5.1 trillion. Last right. year, everyone spoke about being in cash, and you did a great job. You did a great job in 2020. Last year, you were running just under $5 trillion. You were Look not. at the numbers. 4.6 to $5 trillion last year is what you were running in your That's cash on the sidelines. That's a big move, 4.6 to $5.1 trillion is No, that move. was the range last year. You've gone up but you're at recently the top, but you're at the top of the billion. range right now. Right, but incrementally, it's not enough to change I think it's your diet. I think, however, it's indicative. Me, however, I think it's indicative of the entire overall sentiment, okay? Myself included. Everyone on this desk Positioning right now is very low. does not trust does not trust the move in the market right now. Right. Everyone on this desk looks at technology and says, okay, let's take a little off. So all I'm telling you is, is my gut. And you don't have to trust my gut, okay? I'm the one that has to trust my gut and take the risk. I'm just telling you from what I could see in the market, that's a recipe for a little bit more to the upside to squeeze out some of that bearish sentiment. That's all I'm saying. Okay, but my, my point is that 
the headline, so much cash in the head on in the market was the headline all of last year. So much cash in the sideline. So that alone is not the motivation to Friday, as you point out, PCE point out very astutely is another binary event. So the market is going to be very data defensive. So if we see a series of lower events, right, we see the Fed pause, you'll pop. But those are those are trading moves, in my view. Jenny's approach is absolutely the right approach. You have these metabolic moves in stocks. You got to take some off the table. Keep your core long term position, but take some off the table. You you have though you have to, though, believe that if there is who cares what happened last year at this point, if there is such a sizable pile of money, so to speak, on the sidelines, that when the tide turns, that could, in fact, lead to a forceful rally. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And the question is, what's going to happen first? Are people going to feel feel compelled to go into the market? You'll have, you know, the FOMO people going in. That's what you've seen in some tech. That's what you're seeing in Lulu today, which is why should that stock be up 14%? Great quarter, but not deserving of adding that much market cap. And then you'll have the, so the race will be on. Is your, is your, are you going to see the impact of the Fed tightening first in the market? And that's my bet. You know what you, know what you might see actually first in the market, and maybe you're already seeing it? is the reverse, not Fed tightening, Fed pause. Why do you think these stocks are running? What do you think, it's by accident that tech is leading to the degree that it is? That's that's not because of expectations of Fed tightening continuing. It's because of expectations of Fed pause. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't, don't think that's priced that. in. I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's going there because they think that the Fed pause doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter in terms of the impact in the economy. Another 25 basis points. That's a topping off. Right. No, but it, that's it, a message. It matters, though, because you go from hikes to pause to cuts. Don't you think the market is assuming at this point that there will be a pause? Maybe that's to your point. There's still that's a 50% chance of a 25 basis point hike in May. Right. And there's 50% chance in a world that tends to be very optimistic in terms of the market that that 50% is going to be no hike. Right. So I think that's what the market's pricing in. Yeah, but you can't tell me that if the market expected uh, at least one, two, however many more hikes, that these stocks would be running the way they are. Because I, I rates would I be can. moving higher. I They're I, not. I think I can because that's positioning going to those stocks for the reasons I just laid out before, that they're primarily defensive. They're the new defensive sector. You've got because you've had consumer, you know, non-discretionary companies. You have Colgate's and McDonald's, all those fly. Do you really want to put money at this level into those? No, you'd rather say I've got these companies that are going to come out of this much later. They're both. They, they, they allow you, Jenny, to play offense and a little bit of defense at the same time. They're the deemed. They're well, once true. again this the safety trade. That's true. But also they're sitting on all of this cash. All these companies are, you know, they're they're just cash performers and producers. Right. Like most others are not. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't consider them, I still don't consider them the safety trade. And, you know, in our discipline growth strategy, the only one of the mega cap tech, tech stocks that we've had has really been meta. And we, and it, it's interesting to say, like, you can actually manage a really good growth strategy without needing to own all of those. And I don't like them as the safety play because to me, safety is a discounted valuation. Safety is saying, I can see the future, I can, I can say, um, I can look at the future of cash flows. 
I can discount them back and I'm buying this stock at a discount to what I think it's worth. And I can't say that for any of the Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA. You're, like, you're, I just I, can't I, say it. So, you don't think you're taking the word safety a little too literally? Probably. I mean, these are probably a, a little more <laughs> defensive in nature for the reasons that, that I said. There's nothing in a, safe. In right. a lower growth world, you're going to go for the growth. In a world where, you know, earnings are a little more challenged, margins are, are an issue, you're worried about cash flow, you're going to go where the cash flow is. You know, it's so interesting. This is the challenge I've had this week. So I, when I was on a couple weeks ago before I went on vacation, I was telling you that I was looking at Ford. So I've done a really deep dive on Ford. And the challenge with Ford is to say, look, they earned $1.80-ish this year. What are they going to earn next year? Analysts expect $1.50. The truth is, I have no idea. And that's where I came out. I don't know if they're earning 75 cents, a buck 50, a buck 80. And that's the challenge with a lot of these companies, well, you, including. But that's not a, first of all, Ford's not a growth stock. No, and second no, of all, you're helping, to make the, you're helping to make the point. I, to some right? degree, I am. But I also think when you have a lot of these, a lot of the stocks that we talked about before, there's still so much ambiguity in the earnings. Meanwhile. Not nearly as much in an Apple as there is a Ford. But I'm going to go in a totally like opposite end of the spectrum. So then I actually added to a position in Easterly Properties yesterday. Easterly is a government building office REIT, right? So they're telling you, look, we should earn $1.15 to $1.16 in, in FFO. That's super, it's not great growth, but it's incredibly reliable. And that's the challenge of this weird period that we're in, which is it's really, really, really hard to see where growth is coming. Right? It's really hard to say, well, consistently this company has grown at 8 to 10% earnings or 3 to 4% earnings. It's incredibly hard to predict earnings right now. So for me, when you're saying what's the safety trade, you know, and I'm saying I don't like the mega caps because I don't even know what their earnings really should be. Even with Meta, I'm like, look, you know, I think they should be about 14%, but it could be 9%. It could be 10%. You know, it's not it's necessarily the safety trade. It's just a more defensive mindset if you want to still have money being put to work in the market. I almost, yeah, I mean, I would almost say it's like the lazy trade. It's people running back to what, you know, what gave them a good ride for a long time. And they say, oh, well, I know I've got my Apple iPhone and I know I'm using it. So I'm just going back to what took care of me in the past. It's, so, it's also the it's easy trade to explain for when you're a wealth manager. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to say you're an idiot for owning Apple. You're an idiot for owning Amazon. Right. You buy some of the other stocks, the higher beta stocks. They're and say, CYA What is trades. this? What is Palo Alto? No yeah. offense, it's a great company, but those are going to be the questions. So that's where right. they go. It's defensible for your business. Okay. Speaking that's of a good point, speaking Steve. of Jason, why the you know what could happen here forward in the market? I thought you know Kramer had a very provocative and interesting thought in his investing club letter, which he says a much needed Fed pause could ignite a market rally like we haven't seen in decades. I can recall a half dozen moments like this one in my career where I really felt that the world was coming to an end and instead what we got were Fed rate cuts, including the second week of October in 98. When the Fed took action then, we had a three-month rally in the market right into 99. We all know what happened into right. 1999, right? Um, can it be like that this time? I actually think uh, likely. It's actually likely. Fed pause ignites a rally. He's not saying everything is going to go up forever, yeah. but you're going to get a, a rally. I think that's possible, obviously. I think, I think a pause is, is definitely in the cards. I, I'm not as um, bullish on cuts towards the end of the year. I think the market is pricing that in, but I, I don't think that necessarily happens. When I look at the banking crisis that we've all experienced over the last couple of weeks, I do think there potentially are other landmines that are out here. Um, and I think the Fed will be cautious because they are concerned about inflation. 
They are concerned about the inflation dragon, and I don't think they want that to come back, obviously. So I don't necessarily think that there will be cuts down the road, but I can see, if there is a pause, some, some nice run in the market. You've returned the growth trade once again. There's this very odd calm in the market right now. Mm-hmm. The VIX is below 20. Yeah. I can't even explain that. I could. I mean, Steve, maybe you could try. It's, you no, know, it's maybe it's under 19 by the end of the show. It's at 19. There's, there's just this odd pattern. Let's remember something. We're in a buyback blackout window right now ahead of earnings. So you can't even say this is companies buying back their stock. That's not what this is. The market yesterday late in the day, had a very aggressive sell-off. I watched the futures. You could see tremendous amount of buying come in. It was the buy the dip mentality. Maybe it was against some option strategies that will ex- expire this, this Friday. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I'm just telling you the behavior in the market right now is pretty odd. And if you're bearish in the near term, you have to feel uncomfortable. Some, I'm sure, Weiss are gonna look at this and say, you see, all those calls that value is back and value is just going to blow out growth for a while. It's the new era of, of value. Doesn't this throw, throw shade on that? Yeah, I, I think it does. And I never you know, believe value is fully back. I think and I, I'm bottoms up, so it doesn't matter to me. I don't classify that's value. You got to buy it. That's growth. I got to buy it. But <clears throat> I, the market's changed. To Joe's point, the market has changed. Koopman said this a number of times. Dynamics have changed. So do you have do you have different thinking people in the market, right, that just have because just of the aging out of investors that just say, hey, I'm I'm identifying with growth. I'm not identifying with the old guard and hoping they're going to be sustainable recovery. So that's why you're seeing a move today, I think, in like Lucid and Rivian and others, that they continue to go back to these companies that are just upside down financially will never, never make money. So I think that's more of it. It's very tough to analyze, which is why I think you have to be bottoms up. And, you know, in terms of safety, safety, I do think it's a safety trade, not because they're safe, but that's the perception of the market. More defensive than safe. And maybe that's a better word to use than than actually um, trying to declare something as being safe. Um, Dividends. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about dividends because as rates go down, those stocks are doing well. The, The dividend dogs ETF, which... We don't talk about that specifically all that often. The S-Dog, S-D-O-G, is on pace for its best week since January. That combines, for those who don't know, the five highest yielding securities in each sector equally weights them. And the dividend yield is 4%. It's your wheelhouse of of dividends. So if we think that rates are coming down, again, that's where we want to be. Um, I think it's, it, look, if you need income, I think you can always be in dividends. You know me, I've never met a dividend market I didn't like. But, um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting is I would not equate the outperformance of this ETF or the dividend stocks in the last week with rates. If you look at this ETF as a benchmark, it actually held up fine until March 8th, 9th, 10th when SVB collapsed. And so what you saw was through 2022, when rates were increasing, through the first two and a half months of this year, um, as rates were increasing, dividend stocks actually continued to hold up extremely well. And then they got slaughtered, right? Like I took a bath in the last three weeks too. Why? Because dividend stocks by and large have leverage, have exposure to REITs, have exposure to energy, have exposure to financials, and all of those got just crushed. So I don't think 
that the dividend stocks right now are going to play relative to interest rates the way they have historically. That is like, you know, me getting on a soapbox for the next hour to get over that. Well, I mean, they but, are more attractive as rates come down. Yeah, but it's so modest and rates are still really low. We can't forget that the 10-year Treasury is still only, what, 3.7, 3.8%. That's just not that high. So if you're saying to yourself... Well, it is relative to zero. <laughs> it is relative to zero, but it's not relative to history. When I started managing the equity income strategy that I manage now in 2001, the 10-year Treasury was trading at 5.5%. Like back then, you could actually say, hey, I need income, where can I go? And the rate on the 10-year was really compelling for significant income generation. That's still not in play now. And if we're right that the Fed moderates, pauses, like decreases rates, let's all presume they're not really going up. Interest rates really aren't an alternative great source of, or sorry, bond yields aren't really a great alternative source of income right let's, now. Let's talk about some moves before we take our, our first break. Jason, you sold the transport ETF, the IYT. I did. But you, but you bought FedEx? Yeah, yeah. I know, it sounds crazy. But so for me, um, you know, <laughs> an my face that obvious? Right, yeah, look that 100%, I was giving you. 100%. So for me, you know, going through the, the COVID era and the expansionary period where, where stocks are really growing well, IYT, you know, we're buying the index at that point. Um, FDX, and, and I, I know we could all attest to this, we're looking at individual stories and markets that we're in right now. Um, FedEx has new leadership. Uh, really strong guide, had a really really strong investor day. Um, and, I, and I do think with inflation abating somewhat, the margins, the margins uh, there's been less margin contraction there. So I think there's an opportunity. Yes, the stock has run up 20% already uh, year to date, but I do think there's future yield going throughout the rest of the year. And I don't think, Jenny, we did Schwab yet, no. right? Another, I didn't want to jump the gun on you. Another growth, <laughs> another growth move uh, that you've made. Uh, this out of your growth portfolio? Right. Also Schwab? Right. And so this is real, to me, this is exactly what I want to own right now with respect to earnings clarity. So Schwab's down 30% in the last month, 40% in the last year. It's trading at 12.6 times earnings. Historically, it's traded around 20. It got slaughtered, right? In the same way the, the REIT stocks did, just because everybody freaked out and they said, oh, you know, money's coming out, money's gonna move into money um, money market funds with higher yields, coming out of low deposit rate, low, de low interest rate deposits. Schwab's gonna have a really tough time. Meanwhile, they brought in $42 billion in February. They've been bringing in, on average, $2 billion a day of new assets. All those new assets are hugely profitable for Schwab. They're expected to have 25% earnings growth in 2024, 20% in 2025, and it's trading at this hugely discounted multiple. To me, like, I, maybe we shouldn't use the word safe, but that's a safer trade. To me, there's, there's much more comfort in moving money there and out of tech than there would be to just go back to the the tech stocks, yeah. that I think, have inflated value. Getting a pop uh, right there. High of the day uh, for shares of Schwab as uh, Jenny reveals that she's buying it. All right, let's take a first break. Straight ahead, our chart of the day. Shares of one retailer now up 15% on the week. Joe Terranova owns the name, which means we trade it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. back. Our chart of the day is Lulu. It is surging after reporting a strong holiday quarter uh, sales issuing upbeat full guidance as well, full year guidance as well. Excuse me, Joe, you own it. Um, Calvin McDonald on the network today says we don't have an inventory issue. We leaned in deliberately. Sarah Eisen points out that, OK, well, their inventory grew 50 percent. Yep. It's better than 85 percent last quarter, but still higher than the industry average. Is it, a, is it should it be more of a concern that that being reflected in the stock today? Well, you're going to listen to the CEO, and he was able to improve the gross margin better than the street actually feared. Um, the inventory concern is, is a right one. It's, it's a concern that exists not just for Lululemon, but also for Nike. But I think this is a classic example that what you're seeing in the price action of the stock, and Steve spoke about this earlier, why is it up 13%? Because this is better than feared. Mm-hmm. This is a favorite name that clearly the mutual fund ownership of went to an underweight and now you're seeing that the results are not as as bad as they feared so it's coming off the bottom let's be clear it this, is right the, 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 we just showed you what the the gain is in the stock today yeah the whole year is today yeah the whole, name. It's, it, this is this is a stock that's coming off the bottom it's got a long way to go to get back to its previous high i'm not going to throw cold water on this because what is this do it restores the belief that this is probably one of the best in breed retail names that you could own it 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 identifies that management can go back to focusing on men's apparel direct to consumer international the areas of growth over the coming years when there's a better overall macro environment so i think i think it's 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 justified from the standpoint of Better than feared. Uh, do I think we're going back to the all-time ho- high? Rather, not anytime soon. So, what do you do with it, Joe? What do you What do you do with it? For today? me personally, yeah. in the strategy, yeah. well, it stays in the strategy. It goes under review uh, at the end of April, and and we'll take it from there. This is a company that has a fantastic balance sheet. Yeah. The balance sheet has never been in question. What was well, the in momentum question, was lost? What was in question was the momentum was lost. Uh, there was something that towards the end of January you could see that momentum was building again positively. Okay. That's worked out well. You can see that it's it's confirming right. that indicator, and we'll take a look at it at the end of April. All right. So, City uh, Weiss, you, I mean, you used to own this too. Um, City upgrades it to a buy. Quote: Checking all the boxes, all systems go is what they say. Bernstein goes to 320. The stocks they, they're underperformed, by the way. Stocks at 361. Let's just be clear there. So they reiterate their underperform. Matt Boss, J.P. Morgan, he's the number one retailing analyst on the street. He adds it to the focus list. Overweight 430 is the price target there. Would you buy yeah. this back? Um, 
I, I was actually going to buy it back, then all the analysts kept talking about it's going to be a great quarter, a good quarter. Their stock moved from you didn't believe the 285. Analysts? No, I, I, no, they moved quicker than I did. <laughs> so when the stock traded up to 300, I said, look, I've already missed, or more than that, I said, I've already missed 10% almost in the stock. I can't buy it here based on the quarter. So I missed it. And that's the flaw, thank, frankly, in my thinking that I'll wait for a better price. I still think I'll get a better price. At 27 times the year we're in, that's a lot for retail. Management is excellent. I mean, I gotta, can't emphasize that enough. And what I like about, about their clothes is that there's some fashion element, but it's not like it's gonna be a wildly changing fashion element. So they're inventory. Weiss, if you look good in them, that's a statement I, I look great in them. That's a reason right there for everybody. To buy. If Weiss looks good in anything. Here's the difference between you and I, okay? That's a statement, okay? The clothes make Calvin, that's why he's giving you right. praise. But here, here's the difference, okay? The clothes make you, I make the clothes. Yeah. So I can take wow, fashion wow. anywhere okay. it wants to go. You so I would like to right. buy it. It will come back as the market comes back. I will buy it. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, in terms of retail today, Jenny, UBS downgrades Ross, Burlington, Urban, and Foot Locker huh. to sell. Right. What do you think of that? I love it. So we you do? Sold, sure. Because it makes me right on too. Right? Okay. So we well, sold Foot Locker. Right? Yeah, we sold Foot Locker um, just about a month ago, and we sold Ross about a month and a half ago. And so this whole conversation and those downgrades are making me really think three things. One, we need to remember that the way retail is performing right now, legitimately so, is asymmetric. So different companies performing differently. Two, what we saw with, with Lulu is that the consumer is still spending. The consumer remains healthy, however much we want to pretend that's not true. But it also makes me think of the importance of what Jason did with the transportation index and then into, fin, and, 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 into FedEx. I don't think right now that you should play a retail index, but I think you can pick and choose names really carefully because we still own Kohl's, right? There's a very different story between Kohl's and Foot Locker. One's performed, one's underperformed. The valuations are different. The management teams are really different. So I think there's enormous opportunity in retail right now, but you need to dig in, do the work, and choose individual That's stocks. That's a great point. Well, you got Ross, by the way, in the Joe T. Yeah, and, there, and there's such a bifurcation right now in performance and what they're delivering on the fundamentals. Uh, Costco, mm -hmm. Dollar General, Ross stores, all struggling. But yet, we've got a good report from Lululemon. You cited Kohl's. And then how about Ulta Beauty? Ulta Beauty pressing towards an all-time high. So I think the bifurcation absolutely exists, and you have to go bottoms up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think it's a too much of a generation, generalization to say the consumer's still healthy. It's really a bifurcated consumer. There's the haves and the have-nots. I mean, when you've seen inflation that you've seen so far through this cycle, then not all consumers can tolerate that as well, and they have to redirect their spending to absolutely what they need. So, yes, the upper-end consumer right. and the middle-class consumer, the upper-middle-class, has stayed, you know, Willing so to spend. far, so far, because I've been doing tons of work on on the retailers for right. a year now. Like no one's earnings are really crumbling. They're they're struggling because of inventory corrections, supply chain issues, material discounting costs. margins, yeah, things yeah. like but that. But you don't see you don't see even at the low end retailers, you still don't see massive distress. Right. And then at the services companies, you still see people hand, spending let's, hand over. Fist. Let's squeeze in another break. Uh, coming up next, the crude oil bounce. It was rising for a third straight day. It has dipped negative, though, as our show has carried on. We will debate what happens next, plus how the committee is playing energy. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Josh Hawley are among the bipartisan group of lawmakers proposing the Bailed Execution Clawback Act. This bill would mandate that federal regulators return to a bank all or part of the compensation its executives have received in the five years leading up to a bank's failure. Warren said this law will help hold failed bank CEOs accountable. Russia has stopped sharing information on nuclear forces with the U.S. The country's deputy foreign minister said that Moscow has halted all information exchanges with Washington after previously suspending its participation in the last remaining nuclear arms pact between the two countries. This means there will be no notice about planned test launches of ballistic missiles. An economist in California estimated it could cost the state more than $800 billion to pay uh, reparations to black residents. The estimates were presented to a state panel that will, will recommend how the state can atone for its role in perpetrating racist systems. The panel is not required to adopt the economist's calculations and can come up with its own figures. Scott, back for you. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelos, we'll see in just a little bit. Crude oil is up more than 5% this week. Nice bounce. UBS says they see a 20% rise in commodity prices in the next 12 months. So, Joe, what, what do we make here? So we've had a nice little move over a couple days. I don't feel like there's a lot of conviction, though, no. regardless of what UBS says about commodity prices. I just don't feel it in the market. And it probably shouldn't be. It went up too fast. I mean, there was really was nothing fundamentally that was driving the price higher. I think it was just a natural reaction to the overall environment. And you went through this period where the leaderships kind of switched away from the growth tech trade back into energy and financials. So I think it was nothing more than a, than a reflex reaction, not built upon fundamentals. Not surprised to see it move lower from here. So Marathon got upgraded today at Goldman to a buy. Uh, you own it in the Joe T and personally? Uh, I, or just in the it's, T? It's just in, uh, it's just in the, the ETF. Um, listen, MPC has been a fantastic stock. Glad to see Goldman Sachs upgraded it today. The best performing refiner since 2020 at a reasonable valuation that's delivered the growth uh, that's required. And it's interesting because yesterday you had J.P. Morgan that actually uh, went from a buy to a neutral. Today now Goldman Sachs reverses it goes from a neutral to a buy. So the balance sheet's strong. The revenue growth is there. Uh, it's a refiner that's in the sweet spot. And if you continue to see crude oil just kind of vacillating the Mark Fisher trade, 65 mm -hmm. to 85, mm -hmm. that works well for the refiners. Jay Snipe, you picked energy in the summit. And you I own did. Chevron and the XLE. So what about this trade, which has not gone your okay. way to start this year. Not at all. Don't uh, worry, I have financials. Yeah, what, what about it, Jason? <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, obviously, energy is underperformed. <laughs> to your point, Sky is down 12, 13%. The XLE mm -hmm. uh, is mm -hmm. down. And, and I think, you know, two things. One is uh, energy performed very well over the last two years. I'm up 50% essentially both years, roughly. Um, and, I, and, and I think as, a, as I chose it for the stock summit this year, I just thought about the fundamentals of the, this sector. A lot of free cash flow in these names, um, a lot of strong, really strong balance sheets, uh, strong cash flow, uh, dividends are, are, are really strong. And, and I just think the earnings, the earnings growth 
still exists in these names. And I think fundamentally the supply-demand mismatch still exists. And that's why I continue to like energy. Jenny, Devin, EPD, Kinder, Pioneer, Shell, you got a lot in this space too. Um, and, I mean, look, you snipe so many others just offsides on the trade, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Thinking that, Joe, the 22 playbook was the 23 playbook. And maybe it turns out to be. It's still young, obviously, and we're just finishing the first quarter. Well, but what be, about those? To be fair, I never thought that the 2021 20, and 22 playbook was also 23. I mean, it was up 50 and 60% each of those years. There was no way we were going to have that kind of repeat. Right. But I went into this year, which well, is did, exactly— Well, you, did, so you didn't—I'm uh, going to stop okay. you there just for okay. a second, because by su suggesting the playbook doesn't mean you thought it was going to go up 50%. Did you think energy was going to be a leadership group in 23? I th I thought it was going to get, and I still believe this, that it's going to be a, give me a solid positive return once the 2023 year is complete. And Jason hit on really two important points. One, the supply demand remains unbalanced with more demand than there is supply, particularly as we get into the end of 23 and into 24. Then the other thing is there is enormous cash flow. So where I had capital appreciation in the shares that I owned in the past two years, I'm not expecting huge capital appreciation. But if we want to use Pioneer as a poster child, this is where I think you make the money. Pioneer on their earnings call said, look, if oil is in the roughly $80 a barrel range, our dividend yield that will pay out will be about 11%. If it's around 60, it'll be about 5%. So I'm comfortable and safe saying, and you're going to argue with me on this, I can see him warming up already. <laughs> um, I, can, I feel comfortable saying like the share price should remain roughly flat on the year. And you know I've ridden out the vacillation of share, of share price for the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. But I think that we could end up the year with a nice 8-10% total return in our pocket. That seems totally Totally reasonable from here. I'm a great one to ask. So I missed it in 21. I missed it in 22. I bought Devin at the absolute wrong time in 23. So <laughs> well, 24. If you, so if you want, so if you want right, to counter cool. opinion, up. yeah, a double downgrade. One big healthcare player. I mean, really? Yeah, dude, I, I, right? I agree. I like it here, though. I think now's when you buy. Coming up. Coming up. A double downgrade for one uh, big healthcare player. Uh, by the way, Jenny's buying more of it too. Uh, which is interesting. It's our call of the day. We'll do it next. It's time for the call of the day, and it is the stock right there on your screen. Medtronic double downgraded today to a sell at UBS. Quote, the underlying fundamentals are strong, but uncertain macro make us lean more cautious. Price target 79 bucks. Jenny Harrington, you bought more <laughs> right. on this downgrade. Um, right, not because of the downgrade, but in conjunction. So it's an interesting thing where we look at UBS's 88-page report on this, and we think that they're missing the forest through the trees. Their big main concerns are that it's going to be hard to it's hard to implement cost-cutting and that their new products could be delayed. We look, and by the way, their expectations for growth um, of revenues is only about 2% lower than consensus. So it's not like they have a wildly divergent expectation versus consensus. But we look at it and we see, okay, this is a company that we've had for a long time. It's trading at 15 times earnings. Historically, it's been at 17. They generate a 6% free cash flow yield. They have a strong new product pipeline. They have improving currency tailwinds. And they have potential to cut costs. So we look at that and we think, you know what? This is really compelling. It's at a discount. There's a lot of visibility. Expectations are really low. Mm -hmm. And then we take one other thought on it and we say, you know, sometimes Sometimes the um, Wall Street analysts can get a little bit too wonky and they have their regression analysis that says, OK, historical pricing um, power has been this and they apply that and then they say they won't be able to pass this on. And we look at it and we say, you know what, do you want to own Medtronic, particularly in this environment? And the answer is yes. This is a great company with a great product pipeline. 88 pages. 
they, they pumped out. I mean, yeah, honest, double I downgrade. Mean, if it was if it was just a regular downgrade, it'd be 44. 44. Well, right? in, in fairness, 88. It was it was a new launch. It was, that might be a new record. Yeah, actually, 88. when I ran research, Sally, we had an analyst write 440 pages on pig transplants into humans which was not commercial at all. But here, this was an industry report coming out. And so they needed, when an analyst comes out with coverage, they okay, need a couple point. of sales, they need a couple of buys. So these are the ones that are sales. I don't think they're high, you know, highly committed sales. I actually like it. I've been looking at that. Well, this is looking. a highly committed one if it's a you know, yeah, yeah, double yeah, downgrade. Because they need to come out with something to get attention. So that's, that's the money game that they're playing. But what I'd say is that I like the group. There is pricing pressure. Hospitals are not generating the profitability that they were. So where are they going to go. Having said that, I like the sector. It's offensive. Healthcare is one of my picks this year. And um, again... But all you have is like Moderna, right? I know, but... but He's going to go out and buy Medtronic this afternoon, I think. No, I, I have looked at Medtronic. I have owned <laughs> it in the past. I am looking at Baxter. Um, so I'm Stryker. looking at the group. Striker also. Striker's the one. I mean, what you have to understand, what drives this is that the new technology, which is coming much quicker than it ever did, increasing procedures and so forth, so, and making it more profitable if you can get the buyback. Well, what's the best place to be in this space, Jason Snipe? Is it the... Um, the Medtronics of the world, the device makers, what I was trying to think yeah, of, yeah. the health insurance companies, the hospitals, what's the best? So I, I, I do Drug like makers. The, yeah, I do like the device companies because I do think uh, elective surgeries, was, I think, was a catalyst for the healthcare names. Um, it hasn't come back online like I thought it would post-pandemic. Uh, but I do think if I'm looking at the future and earnings growth ahead, I, I do like the device companies better than I like preventative care. So that, that's where I would be. I'm going to say something controversial. Uh -oh. I think it matters less whether it's device, drug, whatever. I think you want to go with the best management teams. And that kind of reflects the retail conversation, too. I think the best management teams are going to guide you through this. All right. Okay. Coming up. Coming up. Mike Santoli with his Midday Word. He'll be right here at Post 9 next. Welcome back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joining us now for his midday word. This looks familiar, right? Uh, in terms of where we're, we're trading, it does. Yeah. Um, you know, we've actually crossed the 4,000 mark in the S&P, nine out of the 21 trading days in March. I actually think 3950 is the more interesting kind of midpoint of this longer term kind of 10-month range. But 4,000 is, is relevant. And by the way, the high this morning in the S&P was exactly the high on March 9th, which was the day before SVB buckled. So the market's kind of testing out this range. I do think in general, collectively, folks had braced for a bigger blow, whether it was more banking stress, more signs of contagion, more spillover into credit. Uh, and maybe even, you know, with the very, very early earnings, earnings uh, reports, maybe a little more guide down. So I don't know that you want to draw broad conclusions, but the market has undergone this test in the first quarter of that rally off the October lows. The market never came close to trading below the December lows. If you don't do that in the first quarter of a new year, that often insulates the market from immediate damage. That's just a kind of broad rule of thumb. And I think that's where we're, uh, where we're kind of existing right now. I guess I also meant, you know, right back a couple days of, of a breather and then you go right back With into the big the, tech, right stuff. back into tech. It is true. Although I would say today it's a little bit broader than that. It's not just a handful of stocks. But that is right. The, the overall tape absorbed a, 
minor pullback. I don't know if there's uh, if there's more to be done in terms of extrapolating that. I hesitate to do that. I don't think it's just a yield story. It is just kind of what's under own, what uh, looks like it's got more clarity on the earnings front. There's quarter end stuff. I don't like to uh, kind of use that as a sort of scapegoat for the action, but it's out there. And I do think on balance, people might have been under position uh, in some of these uh, big index names. So that could explain part of it. We're headed for a 4% first quarter in the S&P, which is a whole lot better than I'm sure it felt to most people. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, carried by the big seven, I guess, if you want to call it that. I'll see you in a couple hours. That's Mike Santoli joining us for his midday word. Coming up, the stock leading the gains in the Dow today. We have new headlines on it as well. We'll do it next. We are back. You saw the Dow good for 236. We're back to Christina Partsinevelos for a big reason why. Christina. That reason is Intel. They just finished giving a webinar roadmap for products. The most newsworthy item right now is Intel's data center chip called Sierra Forest, which will launch in the first half of next year. It's a central processing unit CPU with a focus on power efficiency. It's not new. But definitely top of mind for investors because this is a new product launch. And that's not all. The company also plans to release a next-generation GPU, Granite Rapids, closely after that CPU launch. So what that means, two new products next year for Intel. Intel, we know, has suffered from product delays in the past and has lost market share for its PC and server processing chips, but still controls at least 70% of the market. The big question, Scott, though, is will Intel gain from the AI push since Intel's focus is CPUs and AI data centers need to spend more money on GPUs, a product line Intel falls behind the likes of NVIDIA and AMD. Nonetheless, the stock is up and it's having its best day in two weeks. Yep. All right, Christina, thank you. I'll see you later on uh, the closing bell. Jenny. Jenny, I mean, we're giving you so much grief, right? It's 6%. It doesn't count as a victory lap. I mean, you got to take what you can get, though, right? Right. right. So, so remember when we sold AMAT a few months ago and we were talking about the chips and I was saying, look, you need, you need one of two things really working for you. Either you need a valuation that's unrealistically low or you need earnings growth. So sticking with it, with Intel was saying the valuations unrealistically unre- low and the expectations are so horrible and it's not as bad a company as people gave it or pretended it was with with the valuation that it was at and with the hate fest that it's had. You still have a company that's making 63 billion dollars a year in revenues. That's really significant. And to Christina's point, they still have 70% market share in some areas. One of the new chips that they just put out that she mentioned actually has significantly better performance than its AMD equivalent. And I think Going back to the my uncontroversial, controversial comment about good management, I do think Pat Gelsinger is a really excellent CEO with great management and great leadership potential. You so think, I think he's executed well? I mean, look, he, he walked into a very, very, very difficult situation. And so I think whether he executes well, like time still has to tell. I think we're going to need to sit back and see what he does over five years. But that's a hard ship to turn. Um, so, but he's over-promised he and under-delivered consistently since he was there. Not he had an incredible opportunity to set the bar low, keep the bar low for a certain period of time. I think saying we need to go. And he got ahead of his skis. They are. They are, in fact. <laughs> Thank you. We're back with finals next. <laughs> Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Hope you'll join me, Adam Parker, and Bryn Talkington, Will. We're going to have a bull bear debate, too, between Ed Yardeni and Greg Branch. 
one really big bull, one really big bear. And Stacey Rascon is going to join us, too. Of course, the well-known chip analyst on whether Jenny Harrington should be optimistic about Intel moving <laughs> forward or not. And Dan Ives has a new note as well on tech. So we'll get into all of that in just a couple hours. Jenny, you go first. Okay. Columbia Bank shares. This is formerly Umpqua. It's a regional bank that was baby thrown out with the bathwater story. 5.9% yield. I spoke to the company two weeks ago, and they weren't seeing the massive outflows that everyone worried about. Weiss. GS, while the capital markets is closed a little bit, the company's going to need to restructure. It'll be very active. It's by hedge against the market. You know, not doing what I think. All right. Jason Snipe. Darden restaurants, not a lot of triple plays out here. Darden's one of them. I like it here. All right. Joey T. The market's safety trade. Chocolate. Hershey. <laughs> oh, yum. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you at Closing Bell. It's just a couple hours. The Exchange Now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 